Amen. I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles to the uh, Gospel of John and to the 18th uh, chapter of the Gospel of John. And um, we're going to read from verse uh, 19 of the portion of Scripture. John's Gospel, chapter 18, and beginning our reading at verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I speak openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him, bound unto Caiaphas the high priest, and Simon Peter stood and warned himself. They said, Therefore unto him art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, kinsman whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, immediately the cock crew. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was very early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus be fulfilled which he spake, signifying by what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it? Uh, thee of me. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants find that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou saidst that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find no, in him no fault at all. But we, ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas 
was a robber. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to all our hearts. The Lord Jesus had been betrayed by Judas and arrested by the authorities in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he had been taken to the high priest's palace where he was to be tried. And we find that the Jews found him guilty of blasphemy and they could not, uh, they could not uh, have a capital, uh, they couldn't uh, put the Lord Jesus to, to death. So they had to send him for a political trial to the Romans. And that's what they did. They were determined to put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. Kent Hughes, the commentator, said, a political trial under secular Roman authority and law was necessary. Thus came the most infamous trial in history, a weird, twisted thing that began before Pilate, the careerist Roman politician, then detoured to the Tetrarch Herod, the half-Jew puppet pop, uh, ruler, and finally returned to Pilate, where the awful judgment was rendered. And we think of this man, Pilate. It says in John 18 and verse 28, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate was the Roman procurator, responsible for keeping the law and order in that part of Judea. His normal headquarters was in Caesarea, but this was the Jewish feast of Passover, and it was a time when there was likely to be unrest, and so he had come down to make sure that law and order was going to be kept. He had been created the procurator or the chief magistrate of the province of Judea. Judea had come into being in 6 AD under the Roman Emperor Augustus, and the term of office that Pontius Pilate had was under Tiberius from 26 to 36 AD. And we think of Pilate here, there's a little bit of speculation about his background. Some think that he was of plebeian descent in the Roman society. His name comes, they think, from the name Ponte in Rome, and there was evidence from contemporary literature and uh, from an inscription that was found in the amphitheater in the town of Caesarea for his existence. Many people uh, said that Pilate never existed uh, before the inscription turned up, and it's one of the things that you find with biblical characters. There are always those that deny that they exist until the evidence turns up. But here is this man, and now before him comes the Lord Jesus Christ. Here comes the one who is the ruler of all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Pilate didn't want to judge the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that that is something that is very evident in his reaction. But the Lord Jesus nevertheless stands before him. And he has to render judgment on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so the most important few hours of his life proceed. And we want to think tonight about this, uh, this, uh, this trial that is before Pilate. We have thought about the religious trial. This is the secular trial. We have thought about the trial before the Jews. This is the trial before the Gentiles. And so you can see that all of the world, as it were, is brought in uh, as they pass their judgment on the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the world, even in this day, is to pass judgment upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of that question that was asked by Pontius Pilate, what think ye of Christ? And that is the most important question that would face any person or what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? And that is the most important question that we could ever answer. And so tonight, we just want to think for a few minutes about the trial before Pilate. And there are a number of things, as we look at Pilate here, as he faces the Lord Jesus Christ, that I want you to see. First of all, I want you to think about Pilate's constraint here. Here is Pontius Pilate. He's the Roman governor. He is the supreme magistrator, procurator, governor of the region of Judea, emissary of the greatest power in the world. But in many ways, his power is limited because he is constrained in his power by the circumstances in which he is found. And there are a number of constraints that you can see as you look at the portion of Scripture that is before us. And the first constraint is the constraint of law and order. He is in Jerusalem at the feast, as we've said, because there was always the fear of large Jew uh, Jewish gatherings that there would be unrest and riots, riots. And the task that Pilate had was to keep law and order. And he, if he didn't do that, that was going to be reason for him to be removed. So he is there for the sake of his position. He's there for the sake of the duty that he's been given. And it says in Romans, or, or rather in John 18 and verse 29, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And here are the Jews that were come to the judgment hall. You notice that they didn't enter into the judgment hall. Pilate goes out to meet them. And the Jews didn't uh, go into the judgment hall because it was the time of Passover and uh, they would be defiled if they went into a Jewish or into a, a Gentile home. They, uh, they had brought in rules, the Jewish Mishnah, the codification of the Jewish law read that the dwelling place of Gentiles are unclean. And these were rules that had been brought in by these Jewish scribes and these people. They were in addition to the word of God. And really they were bringing the difference and the separation between the Jews and the Gentiles and really bringing this in. So they didn't enter in. They sent Jesus into that place. And there they were. They had broken the law in many ways in the first trial. They had dispensed really with the laws of Moses and their own laws in order to uh, uh, to convict the Lord Jesus Christ and in order to put him on trial. But here they are standing on ceremony and they won't even enter into the judgment hall where he is. 
But I want you to see now here is the, the Jews. Uh, they bring the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can see what they're pushing for. They're pushing for crucifixion. That's the uh, thing that they want. The, their, their method, the Jewish method of capital punishment, was stoning. And while it was illegal for them to execute anybody, and you can see the way that they brought the Lord Jesus to Pilate, and their excuse was that it was not the, lawful for them to execute anybody, and it wasn't because the Romans had brought in this law that they were the only ones that could execute anybody. But you find in the book of Acts, they stoned Stephen, and they didn't stand on ceremony there. And there were others. You, you think of the many times when, before this, they had sought to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. So it wasn't as if they were meticulous in their keeping of this Roman law. If it suited them, they could have uh, executed the Lord Jesus Christ. But they want crucifixion. Why do they want crucifixion? Well, they want crucifixion because now they're hating the Lord Jesus so much that they remember that in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23, it says that he that is hanged is accursed of God. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And they want not only that the Lord Jesus is put to death, but they want this curse to be upon him. Now, they don't know that what they are doing is actually fulfilling the law of God or the will of God because the Lord Jesus Christ was made a curse for us. He was made that curse for us. He took our curse upon him. And you'll also know that... Uh, well, stoning would bring forth blood. But we think of the, rev uh, the riven hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And crucifixion, of course, was a method that was going to bring forth blood. And we think of how without shedding of blood there is no remission. And you think about how at the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he said of the Lord Jesus Christ, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. They took him. They wanted him slain. They wanted him hanged on the tree on, uh, to be crucified. And yet, in, the, in, in doing that, in their hatred, the Lord has used their hatred and their wickedness and their sin, and God has brought about his own will in the midst of all of that. And you can see that in so many ways in the Word of God. He makes the wrath of man to praise him. And we can see that uh, even we can think about that in our own day in which we live, how that God's will will always come to pass at the end of the day. But then not only is there the constraint here of law and order and Pilate, uh, doing his duty here as he thought, and the uh, constraint of what has been said to him. But there's the constraint of Pilate's own character. Now, although he was commissioned to uphold the law, and he was commissioned to uphold order in the province, he was a most violent and immoral man. Many times he broke the law himself. 
Many times he was known to be violent. And you can see that constraint in that he finds the Lord Jesus Christ to be innocent and he wants to set the Lord Jesus Christ free. But he is not so uh, constrained by the law and by justice that having said that the Lord Jesus Christ was innocent, that he did not condemn him to death at the same time. Philo, writing, the Jewish philosopher Philo, writing, Philo of Alexander, writing in 50 AD, spoke about Pilate, and he said his briberies, insults, robberies, outrages, and wanton injuries, executions without trial, constantly repeated, ceaseless, and supremely grievous cruelty. And that's his description of Pilate. Now, Philo was known to be given at times to exaggeration. So uh, we take that with a little bit of pinch of salt. But also Flavius Josephus, the Jewish historian, told the tale about how Pilate permitted troops carrying military standards with the likeness of the emperor into Jerusalem. And this inflamed the Jews. And they camped outside uh, Caesarea, the Judean capital of Caesarea, until, and complained, complained to the emperor until uh, Pilate was forced to back down. But Pilate was known to be violent. There was another time when he stole money from the Jewish treasury in order to construct an aqueduct. Uh, an aqueduct. And again, the Jews began to uh, complain and to protest. But he sent um, military troops to infiltrate the crowd. And at a given stage, uh, a, a signal, they took out clubs hidden in their garments, began to beat the protesters to death. Now, that's the kind of man Pilate was. And you can see it here operating. Here's a man who's immoral. Here's a man who's wicked. Here's a man who's a schemer. And you can see the way that he begins to scheme in his own mind. He wants to, sleep, uh, to save his own skin. He wants to save his own position. And how many there are in this world who would reject the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of possession and for the sake of their own skin. But the third constraint here is the crowd. You think of these people that are here. And by the time there were really three phases to the Gentile trial. There was first the trial before Pilate. Then he was sent, the Lord was sent to Herod. And then back to Pilate again, three phases of the trial. But by the end of the trial, the mob, the Jewish mob, had been so incensed and stirred up by the Jewish rulers that they were shrieking and howling like wolves for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were crying, crucify him, crucify him. And even when Barabbas is offered this violent criminal, they, they are so incensed by this stage that they even call for the death of the Lord Jesus instead of this uh, violent robber. And we think of how the Jews here are prominent in this. They, they really can't be let off the hook here. They, they said, his blood be on us and on our children. I, hum, I heard somebody discussing the power of the crowd recently, and they were saying that the power of a crowd 
can be above our basic instincts for food or for uh, the powerful instincts that operate in our beings. But they, but they said that the power of the crowd can promote insanity even in a society. And we can see that even in this day in which we live. The uh, uh, so-called liberals of this day, the left, the far-left liberals of this day are using the power of the crowd in order to promote their agenda and the, the threat of being cancelled or being put out of your job. And you can see the power of the crowd. And Pilate is very uh, thoughtful about the power of the crowd. He doesn't want to incense the crowd in any way. Then there's another constraint that he received, and that is the warnings that he was given. For example, in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 19, we read about a dream that was given to Pilate's wife. It says there, And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. So there is Pilate. He sat on the judgment seat, and he gets a message from his wife. His wife, as far as we know, hadn't met the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's a dream warning him, don't do anything to this just man. Now, there has been speculation about where the dream came from. Luther was of the opinion that the dream came from the devil in order to stop the Lord Jesus Christ being put on the cross. But the more common opinion is that this is a warning given by God, even though this was Pilate, and even though it was God's will that the Lord Jesus Christ would go to the cross, he still is willing to warn this wicked man, to give him this last warning, don't do this. And there you have the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. Even the most wicked are given the warning by God. And then there's the constraint of political power. In chapter 19 and verse 12, we're told that from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And there is the, uh, there is the last cast of the die. There is the trump card. You're not Caesar's friend if you don't condemn the Lord Jesus Christ to death. Caesar or Christ, the world's ruler or the spiritual ruler of the universe. That's the choice that is put before this man, Pilate. And what a choice it is. But then, not only do I want you to see Pilate's constraints, but let's look at Pilate's cross-examination here. The Jews had come up with this idea that the Lord Jesus Christ should be condemned. And if you look at the exchange there, you will find that really what they want is that, they, that Pilate would really just rubber stamp their death sentence that they put on the Lord Jesus Christ before. If you look at John 18 and verse 29, it says, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring thee you against this man? And give him his Jews here. 
He wants to have a proper trial. He is going to, uh, he's going to look for a charge. He, he's not just going to rubber stamp what the Jews are saying to him. And so he asks for the charge. What accusation bring ye against this man? And in John's uh, gospel, we're told that the first reaction of the Jews when they were asked that is that they were affronted. It says, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the King. Now, you'll notice that their accusation against him was different from what they had condemned him for in their own trial. What they had condemned him for was, in their terms, blasphemy, in that they said he had claimed to be the Son of God, which he was. It wasn't blasphemy, but that was their terms. That was what. But now they changed the charge to suit a Roman trial. It had to be something that Romans were going to be interested. They're not going to be interested in blasphemy against the Jewish God, as they thought. So this has to be a change of charge. And really, there are three things there that he's subverting the nation. Secondly, that he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. And thirdly, that he makes himself Messiah or a king. And these were serious charges to be made in a Roman court. But I want you to see, Pilate directs the question. Now, he, he directly asks the Lord Jesus, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now, turn over to Luke chapter 23 and verse 3. And you'll see the answer that the Lord Jesus gives to that question. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23 and verse 3, it says, And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Now, we looked at that kind of answer the last time in the trial before Caiaphas. And we said that... Um, it was really the Lord Jesus saying, what you're saying is true. And the Lord Jesus is not denying that he is the king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews. Not a political king, but he is a spiritual king. But then you notice what uh, Pilate says. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Now, why did he say that if the Lord Jesus really has just said, yes, well, what you say is true. Yeah, this, you, you, what you're saying is the fact. Well, the reason uh, that the uh, Pontius Pilate finds no fault in him is that he can see, we were told, that he knows that the Jews have brought the Lord Jesus Christ out of jealousy. It is something to do with Jewish internal relations. He can see that the man before him is, he doesn't have royal robes, he doesn't have a crown, he doesn't have a sword by his side, he, he isn't dressed in military garb uh, in order to uh, lead an army, he, uh, he is not dressed, he can see that this man is not in any way claiming to be a political king. And so he says, he's innocent. This is not, this is not a king. This is not a king. And he tries to take, get the Jews to take him back and try him by 
their own law. But you'll notice that when he did that, the fierce reaction from the Jews. Look at uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and look at verse 5. And it says, uh, look, look at verse 4 to get the context. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. So here they're absolutely incensed that Pilate would think of dismissing the case, that Pilate would not take what they have brought to him in any way seriously. And you can see here that Pilate is willing to let the Lord Jesus Christ free, but the Jews are having none of it. They're determined, absolutely determined, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be put on the cross. So there we have the charge. But then I want you to see the cowardice of Pilate. Pilate now seems to be stunned by the fierce reaction, and he starts maneuvers to get rid of the problem. He hears about Galilee, and as soon as he hears about Galilee, he knows that this is the jurisdiction of Herod. And Herod's in, the, uh, in Jerusalem at that time. And so he says, well, here's the solution for me. I'll send him off to Herod. And I will send him there. Uh, it says in Luke 23, verses 6 and 7, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the, men, the, ma- the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. So he thought that he could pass off the verdict. He is in no interest, has no interest in coming to a verdict on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's trying to push the verdict away. He's trying to say, oh, well, I have no interest in this. But he can't do that. Men and women everywhere at some time in their life come to make a decision about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does he try to send him to Pilate, but then he tries to wash his hands of the whole thing. You remember how that at the end of the trial he takes a basin of water and begins to wash his hands of the guilt of condemning the Lord Jesus Christ. But he can't do that either. We know that when history is written and when the Bible is written, that Pilate here stands as condemned as the one who put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And you'll see that Pilate goes through all these maneuvers. There's the other thing about uh, Barabbas that at the feast someone, someone would be released. And we read in Matthew 27, verses 15 to 7, now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they, that had, uh, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? And Barabbas was notorious in those days. And Pilate really was taking the most notorious person that he could think of to offer him so that he 
felt that the Jews would pick the Lord Jesus Christ to be released, and that would be the end of the matter. And he's doing everything that he can to do right, except for the pressures of his job and his position and all of these things that were upon him. And here he is, and he's really, as we say, on the horns of a dilemma. And we think of this man. Here he is, and he knows that the Lord Jesus Christ is innocent. His wife has said, have thou nothing to do with that just person? And we think of what it says in Luke chapter 9, or John chapter 19, verses 7 to 12. There it says, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And as time goes on, Pilate becomes more and more aware of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We, he hears that this is a, a king, and he, he says that he made himself the Son of God. And he asks them the question, Art thou the Son of God? Art thou the Son of God? It says, And he went again into the judgment and hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath greater sin. And then it says, From henceforth Pilate sought to release him. Pilate begins to realize that this is no ordinary prisoner. Pilate is beginning to understand what it is that is standing before him. And my what an awful thing it is that in spite of all of that, Pilate condemns the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of the stupidity of men. You think of the foolishness of those around us. You know, at times we have people under the sound of the gospel and there's a powerful uh, message and the warning is sounded about the fact that they're sinners and they're going down to a lost and Christless eternity. And yet men and women can still go out of meetings like that and reject the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we think of the awful blindness that there is in the hearts of men and women. But there's one more thing that I want you to see. Not only is there Pilate's constraints, and we've looked at uh, Pilate's uh, cross-examination here for a few minutes, but look at Pilate's catastrophe. Look at chapter 19 and verses 16 and 17. It says, Then delivered he um, therefore unto him to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away, and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Sometimes we try very hard not to do what we know to be wrong. Somehow we just sometimes don't have sufficient courage to go through and do what is right. And here is Pilate and he's under pressure. He's a politician. 
He wants to have the favor of Caesar and of the Roman government. And so he ends up putting the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And he goes down, as we said, in infamy. You know, he tried to wash his hands of what he did, but he goes down in infamy as the one who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did that for position and for power. And history and legend, I suppose, tells us that he lost both. We're told by historians and by accounts at the time that there were problems in the, um, uh, around uh, the uh, region of Samaria. And to the Samaritans, Mount Gerizim was sacred. And you remember the Samaritan woman at the well, and she said that uh, we worship in this mountain. That was Mount Gerizim. And there was a, 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 messiah, a messianic figure that rose among the Samaritans, and he said he was the Messiah. And he said he would lead them to the top of Mount Gerizim, and that in the top of Mount Gerizim, Moses had buried sacred vessels on the top of the mountain, and that if they went up there, these sacred vessels would be revealed, and that would legitimize his messianic claims. And Pilate heard about this, and he sent a platoon of Roman soldiers to block the ascent to the mountain. And that ended up in a bloody confrontation, and the Romans killed several of the Samaritans. And as a result of that, the Samaritan council complained to Caesar about Pilate's abuse of power. And Tiberius summoned Pilate to Rome and stripped him of all of his uh, office. And we think of how he went out then to die. And the legend is that uh, in the reign of Gaius, he committed suicide due to remorse about what he had done with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we turn our back upon Christ, or upon Christ, it will always lead to disaster. A fitting memorial to Pilate lay beneath the sand of the Mediterranean for centuries. In 1961, a team of archaeologists uncovered a stone bearing the inscription with Pilate's name. Originally, it had been a dedication stone in a temple, a pagan temple, erected in honor of uh, the Emperor Tiberius, and the temple was actually uh, later destroyed. And that stone was taken and was made into a step in the amphitheater in Caesarea Maritime. Uh, And imagine the name of Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea and Samaria, and his name became a step that people tramped over, the ordinary people tramped over. And he crucified the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of power. He lost to power. He uh, crucified the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of the crowd. And the crowd, as it were, ended up trampling over the inscription of his name. And the pleasure-seeking theater attendees tramped over the name 
of Pontius Pilate. My here was the man, as it were, that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. What a disaster that was. We think of the scene there. The Lord Jesus Christ is taken from that place to be put on the cross. Seems the end for the Lord Jesus Christ. Seems the end of his messianic claims. Seems to be the end of his mission. Seems to be the end of the movement that he had uh, uh, risen up. But instead, it's the end for Pontius Pilate. And this world, there are many that rise up against the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many movements and many times when it seems as if the cause of Christ is very low. But at the end, God is in control. God is in charge. God is the one who is exalted and glorified. And oh, that we might serve him with all of our hearts and souls this evening. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just unite together at the throne of grace in prayer and let's remember those that are laid aside to remember our brother um, Ed uh, Adams in the hospital and also our sister Margaret Alexander um, in 6D and 6E. Um, and uh, we pray that God might overrule for both of them and that they might be raised to health and strength. Pray for the meetings as they continue. Pray for the, our brother uh, Noel Shields as he comes on the Lord's Day and pray for the meetings as they continue over the next little while and pray that God's mighty blessing would be upon our land and even in the midst of this um, coronation we mightn't have, I suppose, great uh, expectations of it and yet God can raise up uh, someone who can turn the land onto himself. And we pray that that might be the case even in these days. So let's just unite together at the throne of grace in prayer. Pray for missions that are going on. There's one planned for um, Dramara from the Balnehinch Church in the next few weeks. And maybe we could remember that at the throne of grace in prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts this evening. And, O oh God, we pray that thou wouldst continue to work and bless. We thank thee that we can bring our needs to thee. And we thank thee for the one who is uh, able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or even think. And we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst continue to work tonight. We'd ask thee that the Lord Jesus Christ might be exalted and glorified and honor and glory might be brought to his name. We know, Lord, that... Uh, in this uh, day, there are so many that reject the Lord Jesus, even as there were in that crowd that was against the Savior. But Lord, we thank Thee that God is in control, and we bless Thee for the sovereign power of our mighty God. Remember those that are laid aside. Remember Brother Ed and her sister Mar Margaret. Be with them at this time. Be with them in the hospital bed. Draw near to them. And we pray that thou wouldst give help and strength even in the midst of their weakness. And Lord, we just ask thee that thou wouldst come tonight and pour out of thy spirit upon us and bless us abundantly 
as we seek thee in the place of prayer. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen.